Hey y'all, hey! Welcome back to the Transparency Diary. Of course, I am JB Price, your host for this lovely episode of this podcast. And I hope everybody is doing all right in this little quarantine situation. I'm personally doing well. However, my little nappy head is not, okay? My poor toes need to be done. I'm hanging on to about three strands of lashes on each eye. I look like one of those bad hair memes. Um, Yeah, your girl is over here struggling. But aside from that, I'm healthy and I'm blessed. And, um, you know, y'all hang in there. Y'all hang in on there because uh, hopefully this will be over in the near future. Um, Like, I'm trying to have cocktails and food and have a girls night invite me out I'm going before it was like you might invite me I might go my nine might try to go home go sleep but after this is over invite me I promise I'm gonna show up I'm gonna show up and I'll be early I'm gonna come early and I'm gonna leave late um but yes we are almost out of here and I'm claiming it I'm claiming it by the blood of Jesus this quarantine situation is coronavirus will be over soon and we will be able to get back to normalcy but on a serious note please take a few minutes of your day and make sure you pray for those who are affected by the pandemic and also keep praying for God's divine protection for yourself and those around you as well but moving along happy April we have successfully made it to the next level of Jumanji <laughs> because uh like for real I feel like we are in a Jumanji game I seen this that meme a couple of days ago and I'm like this is how I feel we are in a Jumanji game level four April is the fourth month we are in Jumanji level four okay <laughs> but in case y'all didn't know April is also child abuse prevention month which is a very important topic at hand so I found it suiting to talk about my experience with child abuse and how I healed from it. Um, a lot of people see me up on Instagram. A lot of people um, don't know my story. I have to every now and again reiterate it to people because I feel like some people think that, you know, they see a pretty smile. They see people who have it, what it seems to be all together because nobody has it all together. And they just assume that we haven't been through anything. So as it is child abuse prevention month I wanted to go ahead and talk about it this is probably one of the hardest episodes I'll ever have to record but this would not be the transparency diary if I didn't put myself out there and tell my testimony on how I got through certain things in hopes that the next individual frees themselves from the baggage of abuse and childhood wounds because that is something that I literally have struggled with my entire life um so listening Listener's discretion is advised. This is a real raw and uncut episode. I will be talking about some very personal things. So just brace yourself. And although I will be sharing some unfortunate parts of my testimony, I will also be talking about how I passed, how I got past these things and these experiences and how I, you know, obtained my happiness and my wholeness and not allow these things to break me down or keep me held hostage to the pain of them. Um, so yes, April is National Child Abuse Prevention Month. And according to the statistics, excuse me, according to the statistics, 677,529 children experience abuse between the ages of birth and 17 years of age. And those are only in the cases that have been reported. It is suspected that another 1.1 million cases aren't reported or are reported when it's too late. Um, in my particular case, the abuse for me wasn't wasn't reported. I mean, there were certain instances where um, it was reported, but again, it was too late. You know, it was it was very big signs that I was being abused at that point. Um So for those who are new listeners or who don't know who I am, I am JB Price. Once again, um, I am a sexual abuse survivor that includes rape and molestation. I am also a survivor of mental abuse, neglect, verbal abuse, physical abuse, whatever kind of abuse, you name it. I have been through it. Um, My mother was an addictive she was addicted to cocaine, crack cocaine when I was born and 
basically my entire childhood. Um, and my father was, he was a, in the streets. He was a drug dealer. Um, so he was absent most of my childhood. And because both of my parents basically did not know how to raise me, um, I was subjected to a lot of things, which included those forms of abuse. Um, my first memories as a child was experiencing abuse. I remember being four or five years old and being molested by a man who was a family friend. Um, and he used to sit me on his lap in the next room and he used to play under my skirt. And I just remember, you know, I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know if that was normal. I just remember being a, being a kid, legit a, a child. And this was happening to me. And I used to be looking in the other room. I have memories of this guy doing this to me. And I'm looking in the next room at my family and they're playing card games and drinking and having like a little get together. And I'm in the other room being molested. And I was about four, three or I don't even I might have been three because my, my grandmother died when I was very young and it was happening in her house. And my grandmother died when I was, I think, five. So, you know, that happened at a very young age. And that was a, that was my first memories um, so the sexual abuse is something that I still find myself healing from at 31. You know what I'm saying? Like, um, my grandmother, again, she passed away when I was five or six, five or six. And after that, it just went downhill. Um, at the time, I don't know where my father was, but my mom, again, she was on drugs. She was, uh, a, a, she was on crack cocaine, um, so she wasn't very functional in some of these situations as a parent. And this led her to leave me with different relatives, different friends. And then I ended up in foster care. Um, just just a very unstable childhood. I can say at age 30, I'm about, I'm about to be 31. And in my 30 years of living, as a child up until probably 18, 19, I have probably lived with like, 15, 16 different people, including foster homes and family relatives and family, family friends. Um, and that's a lot of people. That's a lot of instability going on. That's a lot of, um, displacement. And that's basically what my, my, my childhood had consisted of up until I moved to Georgia and I got married and I had my, my second daughter. I haven't even lived in the same house or apartment for more than two years. I always move. Um, my son has always switched schools up until five, six years ago as a child. So, you know, that was just a pattern that I was used to. Um, and it was something I continued as an adult. Um, now, even though my mother was on drugs, I didn't really experience, um, abuse, like verbal abuse from her. She was on drugs, but she was very sweet. She was very, um, Encouraging. I always remember my mom giving me hugs. I remember her telling me I was pretty. I remember her just being a sweet person. She just happened to have a drug addiction. Um, you know, and that, that was very unfortunate. But her as a person, I always remember her being very sweet, very charismatic, very loving. Um, but for my father, it was quite the opposite. Um, I ended up being taken from my mom and placed in foster care uh, with my baby sister because of her drug addiction. Um, and by the time I went to foster care, I was around seven years old. I had already become familiar with sex and being molested. And I didn't know it was a bad thing at that time. At that point, it was normal. It was something that had happened to me for so long and so consistently that I thought that that's what people was supposed to do. Um, so it was literally normal to the point where as a child, I remember kind of inviting that activity. Um, like when I'd see the man who the family friend who originally started molesting me, I knew the routine. I'd walk in the other room and I'd wait for him to like sit me on his lap and molest me. Like that's how normal it became. It was like, oh, 
he's here. Let me go basically prep myself. And it, it, it's really sad because I was, a, I was, I was a baby. You know what I'm saying? I was a, I was such a kid. I was a baby. Um, and I ended up doing that everywhere I went. So I ended up in foster care. Um, I remember having different foster fathers and I remember, you know, talking to them and being fresh with them and sitting on their laps at some point in time. And it was something that I kind of invited. It was, it was an invitation. Um, and that's something because I, again, it was so normal and I didn't, I didn't know any better. And, um, I legit thought it was normal. And the sad part is, um, they all, like, it was multiple foster fathers. They all would do it. They would all molest me. They would all take advantage of me. And I was legit a seven-year-old girl at that time. And that's, that's what makes it abuse. They knew better and I didn't. And I used to blame myself for it for so long. But, you know, the truth is, I was a child. You know what I'm saying? I was a child. I legit didn't know any better. This is a behavior that I was taught. And I accepted it when it happened continuously, simply because I had the lack of knowledge. Nobody correct me to figure out what was going on and to say to me that this behavior isn't isn't correct. Um, and they knew better as adults, as men, and they they took advantage of it. They started molesting me and you know, nobody ever said anything about it. It was just normal. Um, but yeah, um, I just wish, uh, you know, certain circumstances were very different. I wish that, um, had I known, you know, the had I known syndrome, I wish I would have known a little different. But anyway, God has things happen to us for a reason. And um, we are going to move along. So I went to foster care. And that happened. And the foster care system, I have such a, a, a warped outlook on it at this point because of what happened to me. I don't think that all foster homes are bad. I just think that you, in order to be a foster parent, you have to be a certain type of person. You have to be doing it for a reason of love. You have to be doing it for a reason of trying to genuinely help a child. And, there, and it's sad because there are people out there who are trying to collect the check. So they become foster parents with no intentions on doing anything outside of collecting a check. And I think those are majority of the homes that I went to. I did have some good homes, but I just think I wasn't a good fit for them because I was so beat up by then that I would just act out and I was just too much for them to handle. They would try to find me another another foster home. Uh, but the foster care system, it needs it needs a certain caliber of person because children who go into the foster care system, they're very vulnerable. They're very scared. They're very confused you know, I remember going to my first placement home. I didn't know what to expect. I had a room with a bed. It was some other kids in there. And I'm like, I don't know what this is. I would like to go home, you know. Um, but I ended up in the foster care system. And I had some really bad homes. I had, it was a lady. Um, she used to lock me in closets at one point in time. If I had a tantrum or if I didn't listen to her. She would lock me in closets. She would tell me that I wasn't eating. She would keep, she would keep, you know, food from me. She would tell me that I'm getting bread and water. She just, she was mean. She would tell me that I was ugly or that my mom didn't want me. Just verbally abusive. And I, I don't even think I was that bad. I don't think any kid is that bad when it comes to someone having to tell them these things it's just it's horrible you should never say some things to some kids so I encountered that and I think out of all of the things that were said to me I think the worst thing that in a foster care system that a foster parent has ever said to me is that my mom was a crackhead and that she didn't want me and nobody wanted me like the abandonment piece was very heavy when I went into the foster care system um 
So again, aside from the molestation, I have experienced forms of verbal abuse, forms of mental abuse, forms of emotional abuse, um, you know, just, just, just some really, really, really dark days. And I spent a year or so in foster care. And then I went back to my father around eight years old. Um, he had got out of jail and he was abusive. Um, my father would usually leave me in the house by myself. Um, very neglectful. And I think, you know, he was young. Now that I think back at it, you know, he was young. He was chasing money and women. Um, and, but when he was home, it was just that the company of other women. And it was never really about me. I believed, I believe that he, he thought that materialistic, lavish things would suffice for parenting, you know, the providing part. But when things got hard and I started acting out for various reasons, instead of seeing my obvious underlying issues, he would eventually send me with my mother, even knowing that she had a drug problem, or he would try to send me with a relative of my mother's. Um, in my honest opinion, I just think he wasn't prepared to be a father. And because he was so displaced himself as a child, that's all he knew. My father lost both of his parents very young. And he wasn't, he was raised by his older sister. So, you know, he didn't know how to be a parent, not to excuse anything, but, you know, going through the motions of my healing process, I now understand that, you know, people can only meet you at their level of, of understanding and he did the best he could do. But I just believe, you know, I wish things were different, but, you know, the abandonment issues that I that I did struggle with and I still kind of struggle with as an adult I know come from you know the abandonment issues that I had with both of my parents but more so my father um but I think he did the best that he could and uh, I went back to live with him around eight or nine and um I don't remember particularly at that age why he sent me back with my mother but he sent me back with my mother knowing that she was in active addiction um and at the time she was living with a friend and I only remember my age because I remember my third grade teacher. And I, I went to this particular school only when I was with my mom and her friend. And I just loved this teacher so much. My third grade teacher. I can't say her name because it's my password, my security password for for my stuff. So I can't even say her name. But I only remember my age and the time frame around this because I remember my teacher. Um, but so my father dropped me off around eight eight, nine. And my mom was living with her friend. Her friend had other kids. And I called them my sisters and my brother. Um, it's three of them. And my mom just took off. She, so what my mom used to do like active, when she was in active addiction, when my mom used to go on runs, she would be gone for months on end. In this particular run, she, it was like two years that I was sitting there and I didn't see her for the two years from like a couple of days after my father dropped me off to that two years later um but by the time I got to the friend's house again I had been regularly molested like I knew what that was and while living with her friend I continued to be molested they had an adoptive cousin um the friend had a sister who had a foster house and in the midst of the foster house she had some children that she had adopted as her own and one of those children were my adoptive cousin that's what we call him because I call them my, I call her my aunt I call my mom's friends kids my cut my sisters and brothers so that was who I called my aunt and he was adopted so I called him my cousin so he's the adoptive cousin um he's nine years older than me and he started off molesting me it picked up there and at this point I did not invite it I knew it was wrong I knew that you know from a previous situation it had been clear in my mind at that point that, you know, this is not right and I don't like it anymore and I don't want to do it. And he started to, he started molesting me. Um, he started off with like massages and I, you know, I would, would have thought it was, you know, if you think about the age group, if I'm nine, you know, he's 18. So the age group is like, if he was younger, it would probably have been like a little crush type of situation, but it definitely was not that if he was that old and I was that that age and it became very uncomfortable. So he started babysitting us and he ended up, 
you know, starting to ask me to give him massages. He would pay me $5 to give him massages and I would give him the massages. And then it started, you know, oh, let me, let me touch you here. Let me do this. And and then from there it went on to, you know, him full blown, like fondling me all the time. And then at some point in time, you know, he ended up actually raping me. So I woke up one night and he was in my bed, like legit in my bed. And I remember it being dark. I don't remember, you know, where the adults went. I knew they had went out. Um, but, but he actually, it gradually progressed into him raping me. And I remember the night it happened. It was, it was extremely dark. I remember feeling empty. I remember feeling scared, not being able to feel my body, just wondering, you know, why nobody heard me screaming? Where is everybody? Why did my mother leave me here? Just, you know, the motions of transitioning into not feeling like my body belonged to me anymore. It was like something shifted. I felt damaged. And legit from that day forward, I, I've I've looked at the world so differently. Before then, I think I was still childlike. I was still, you know, a little bit, you know, in, in a daze about life and what life really was. I still was riding bikes and I still was, I still had an imagination. I still liked going to the park. But after that, it seemed like my entire outlook on life changed and it changed from me seeing life as beautiful to seeing it as something dark I felt empty I felt like the world has stopped me so far into the ground that I was no longer a person like I felt objectified I felt like an object like my body was no longer mine I was scared I just I just remember saying like why is this happening and that's how I know I have a higher power and God has always been in my life because I remember talking I have these moments where I have flashbacks of certain occurrences and I remember talking to somebody not knowing that it was God but I was talking to somebody and in that in that moment I remember saying why me why is this happening to me why did my mother leave me here but there are also other kids. And I remember switching and saying, I'm glad that this, this is happening to me and not her. She's younger than me. I'm happy that she doesn't have to feel this pain. The other sibling that was in the house with me. You know what I'm saying? Like my whole entire world shifted when this happened to me. Um, and it has changed my life ever since. You know, I'm, I don't think I've ever been the same since. Um, but thankfully, my mother, she ended up popping back up and she was pregnant with my third, my second sister. And my mom has three daughters and she was pregnant with um, my youngest sister at the time. And she came back. She came to get me. She was somewhat clean because she was pregnant. But unfortunately, she ended up relapsing. I ended up going back to the system um, until I went back with my father. By the time I had lived with so many people, as I said, it was like number 15. Like I had lived with, I can't even count. One day I think I'm going to sit down and count just how many people that I've lived with. I can't even count how many foster homes, but the people that I can remember, I need to sit down and really think about well, what, what is the real number? Because it's a lot. It's really a lot. And that is so unhealthy. Um, but I had jumped cities. I had lived with so many different families. Um, I had been abused in all forms. You know, so it didn't even matter where I went anymore with who. I remember feeling like, nope, oh, okay, I'm here with him until he sends me somewhere else. All right, when he gets tired of me, he's going to put me over here. And then I'm going to go back with my mom and then she's going to go back on drugs and I'm going to end up somewhere else. Might go back to foster care. You know, just having the 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 hole in my in my spirit like of not belonging. 
you know, nobody wanted me. Just feeling like garbage at some point in time. Like, just so disposable. Between my parents, neither one of them wanted me. You know? And I and I truly know my mom wanted me. She just, you know, I've walked through her addiction with her. So I understand now. You know, we've had that closure. We've had that talk. But as a child trying to figure things out, you think... You know, I thought nobody wanted me. I felt like garbage. So I struggle I struggle with that. That abandonment abuse. That neglect. That security that a child needs to know that they're loved, to know that there's somebody in this world who loves you and got your back. Like I didn't have that. Um so I was on autopilot and I battled with low self-esteem, depression, I was suicidal. I, I, by the time I was 13, I had tried to kill myself on two different occasions. Um, I was confused about life. Like, you know, I didn't, I didn't have any ambitions. I remember somebody asking me, well, what do you want to be when you grow up in school? And I was like, I don't know. And I remember saying to myself, like, I really want to die. Like, I really don't want to think about what I'm going to be in another 10 years because I want God to take my life tomorrow. Like, I would like to just die. Like, that's how dark those times were for me. Like, not not knowing where you go next like what's next where do I go from here how is God going to deliver me from this place um but it's unfortunate to say that some of my abusers are my own blood relatives you know the incest just some just dark just dark dark times like not being able to tell anyone was just probably the heaviest thing I could have ever experienced and while wondering why nobody protected me. Nobody. Nobody protected me. And it wasn't until I spoke up for myself that I actually began to heal because I realized nobody was going to speak up for me. So around 15, I went to visit my mom's friend over the summer. She was, you know, on a, she had got diagnosed with lung cancer and she was on oxygen tanks. And, you know, everybody knew that she was going to pass away soon because she was so terminal. Um, And when I went to visit this particular summer, they told me that the adoptive cousin that raped me was in jail for raping somebody else. You know what I'm saying? Like that, that was probably one of the emotional, most emotional days. And it was right around 4th of July, which means it was right around my birthday. I think a couple days after that, I had celebrated my birthday, but, um, I felt relieved. I, I was, I was, I felt safe again. I felt like. I was like, just the safety part, like, oh my God, he's gone. He can never hurt me again. Like he's in jail. But then I felt guilty living with the guilt to know that I didn't speak up. And now he, he's done this to somebody else. Somebody else has to feel the, the gaping hole in my spirit that he gave me, you know? So I, I told at the time his mother was trying to get him out of jail. She was paying for lawyers. Um, but she stopped once I told her. And I remember when I told her, she just kept apologizing. She kept saying she was sorry. She kept saying, you know, she 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 just was super apologetic. And it just broke her heart. Like she, her face, like I will never forget her face. But when I told, I felt so free. Like I felt so free. And I had to tell once she was saying she was going to get him out of jail. It was like, I can't let her, I can't let her pursue this and then he comes home like I, ha- I had to tell but I felt so free I felt so free like a burden had been lifted off of my life and from there is when I started my healing process I had to take my life back and break that cycle because it's one thing to have to heal from verbal abuse but to face a demon because that's a demon people are demonic demonic people do things like that So when I had to face that demon and stand in truth and let people know what happened to me, that's a much harder battle, but it's so freeing to do. There are people who die and never tell their story. There are people who have been raped and molested by family members and still have to be around those family members while they hurt at what happened to them in silence. I've watched people bring their daughters around men who have sexually abused them. And they act like nothing happened. And that's the awareness part. We cannot prevent something that we are unaware of. 
if we don't acknowledge the abuse and then more importantly, acknowledge how we feel about the abuse, then how can we heal? I don't think until I really sat with myself and said, I'm really hurt and I'm really affected by this and and, and I don't like it. You know, just to put put words, not, even if you don't say your words out loud but or write them on paper, but when you say in your mind, this is how I feel and you connect your mind with your with your emotions and you identify you can start healing if I never identified the fact that I was actually sexually abused I wouldn't have been able to heal and help others seek their own healing don't let your pain silence your voice don't let the normalcy of of you know trying to maintain the normalcy because it's harder when it's a family member too because you have to you're connected to that person. That connect that connection is blood. You know, more times than other when it's a family member. In my case it's not. It's just somebody who was adopted into you know my extended family. But I also have blood relatives who have molested me. So it's like it's harder to do. It's harder to not normalize it or ignore it when it's somebody who you're related to because you have to you have to face them you have to be around them but do not let your pain silence your voice even if you don't publicize what happened to you you have to come to terms with what really happened to you even if you keep it to yourself suppression is a defense mechanism it's a defense mechanism it's something we ignore we ignore the reality of things because we think it'll hurt more to face it which is true in some instances, but the healing process takes place once you acknowledge it. And uh, my counselor once said, even though suppression, suppressing what we've been through, what did she say? She said, even though suppressing what we've been through, was, it works for us, it will show up in other areas of our life. That's what she said. When you suppress things, it might you might feel like, you know, we forgot about the problem. But that's actually a buried root that we are now, you know, burying and it's going to show up as something else. It's going to wear the mask of something else. And example, like relationships, my friend, I have a friend, she used to be gay. She used to be gay. And, you know, she was firm on who she was. Oh, I'm gay. I like women. I'm a lesbian. And it wasn't until she identify with the fact that she was sexually abused by men and she never came to terms with that um but when she did you know she said to herself I was hurt by men and this is the reason why I I wanted to be gay I didn't all I knew was that I didn't want a man touching me so she gravitated more towards women until she identified with what her issue was and then she started you know she came back she was like you know what nope I, I don't I really don't like girls I just I just feel comfortable around a woman versus a man because I was abused by men. So her root showed up somewhere else without her addressing, you know, her issue at hand of her being sexually abused by men. So when you put a voice to your pain, it allows you to move forward in your healing process. Even on a lighter note, verbal abuse. We have to stop verbal abuse. How many people can you think of? Maybe maybe even yourself that talk bad to their kids because that's who that they had their parents talk to them like that or whoever raised them whoever raised them talk to them crazy so now they're they talk to their kids crazy and I personally used to be verbally abusive in really in relationships I was I was never verbally abusive to my kids that's the one thing that I've always identified with however watching my parents in different relationships watching the people whose household I was in in different relationships they all were verbally abusive you know so until I realized I got this from this and this is what influenced me to be this way I couldn't change it you know and it it wasn't until I realized I was repeating a cycle that was done even to me you know they verbally abused their their companions and then they would verbally abuse me and I couldn't fix that until I realized that that was a cycle the normalization is what increases child abuse. We think because nobody is saying anything or because this has happened to us before that this is normal and it's not. 
It's not normal. You know? So, um, yeah, prevention. We have to prevent the, the abusive stuff we do. You know, taking our power back. And it was not until... I met God that I was able to even get the strength to go ahead and, and speak out and tell the truth. It was it was hearing the stories of other women being abused worse than me and even dying, like hearing stories of women dying that, you know, were dying from abusers. That that gave me the strength to go ahead and tell my story, hearing hearing the woman's story who have been through what I've been through and seeing how powerful they are now, how healed they are, that inspired me to walk forward and do and, and get my own healing. Taking my power back and saying that I'm not going to be controlled by what happened to me. I'm not going to allow this to define me. Finding my value in God rather than basing my worth on what happened to me. Not letting what people did to me define me, facing the truth and my abusers. Sometimes we like to save face or in my instance, because some of my relatives are the ones who molested me. It's like, oh, I'm not going to talk about that part of my testimony because I don't want that person to be upset with me. And I don't want the family to be upset with me or because everybody sees this particular person in such a good light. Oh, they, they're so loved by the rest of the siblings. They're so loved by the rest of the family. So we don't speak on it to save face. Because sometimes, you know, that fact, because they have so many high opinions of them, we already doubt ourselves. We already say, oh, I'm not going to tell my truth because they're going to say I'm lying. They're going to, nobody's going to believe me. But tell your story anyway. Tell your truth anyway. You know, people ask me why I don't go around my family on both sides. And it's mainly because I refuse to be around and I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I refuse to be around child molesters, rapists, pedophiles, and people who have toxic behaviors. For me to go to a family reunion and see a, a relative, a, 40, a 46, 50, pushing 50, 50 plus relative with a 17 year old girl. And nobody says anything. That's normalizing pedophilia. Me acting like incest didn't exist between cousins and siblings is normalizing sexual abuse. Watching people laugh at perverted jokes towards relatives. That's normalizing perversion. You know, watching watching sexually abused relatives have to mingle with their relative abusers. That happens a lot and in, 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 it's sad to say in African-American families. So for me, the cycle stops at me. I'd rather isolate myself than to bring my healthy kids and family around this toxic environment, especially as a mother. So for me, I, I personally find power in saying as long as I can help and my children don't have to experience the things that I've experienced. So I speak out and I remove myself and I make sure I'm diligently walking in my truth you know why do you want to be around people who abused you I don't you shouldn't you shouldn't accept that treatment you're better than that you're better doesn't matter who it's from you're better than that your relative you're better than that so I speak out for for me for my children for the people coming up behind me the young men and women holding these burdens of shame and guilt and pain that don't even belong to them I turned my pain into power when I told my truth about what happened to me. And I no longer allow anybody to tell my story for me. I'm not saving face for nobody. So we have to stop saving face because the truth is, if they did it to us, they might be doing it to somebody else. And it's unfortunate reality, but awareness to things is what pinpoints the problem. And I turned my pain into power that way I have the power to stop you from doing it because guess what I exposed you and guess what now everybody knows what you're capable of now the now the mother with the with the five-year-old daughter will be a little more cautious about you being around her child you know what I'm saying like just the awareness part 
And I turned that into passion. You know, when I have other women who I connect with, I met this lady and she she was 49 years old. She's almost, she's probably 50 now. And she finally, like, she reached out to me and she's like, hey, can I give you a call? She reached out on Instagram. Um, I had exposed the adopted cousin on Facebook and Instagram um, back in October, I believe. Yep, it was October. And the lady reached out to me and she's like, oh my God, like, I want to let you know, like, my father molested me and I'm, I'm 49 years old and I've never told anybody. 49. And she's finally now, you know, I follow her on social media. She's finally walking upright in her, in her purpose and power. And she's, she's healing from it. She's inspiring others to tell their stories. You know, seeing how released she was and how free she felt after finally being able to put words, to speak the words, have the, have the strength to speak the words that she's been holding on to the burden inside of her, you know? So prevention also means standing in the gap for those without a voice. And that's what I do. My entire ministry as a mentor and as a woman who pours into other women, other women is me standing in the gap. I would not be able to be who I am today or reach who I reach or help who I help if I did not stand in the gap and stand up and tell my story. If you see abuse, another way to, you know, prevent it is to intervene. Bringing awareness allows people to see the issue at hand that needs to be addressed. Again, if you have friends who talk to your ki- their kids crazy, stop them. Encourage them to pour into them instead. Help them realize what root of their damaging behaviors that they have so that they can continue or not even continue so that they could break the cycle. Sometimes we people have habits that they don't even realize they have. You know, and I'm thankful for even the slightest corrections that my friends have that they've made with me on certain ways in certain aspects of my life because they have literally allowed me to look and see okay wow I really have something going on here let me let me go ahead and readjust so that I'm not damaging my relationship or damaging my friendship or damaging my children or damaging you know like having having to see what the issue is is a big part of the healing um you know breaking the cycles Just because it was done to us doesn't mean that it's the correct way. Another way to prevent child abuse is to ask, inquire, tell, tell children what's wrong and what's right. Even if they're not your own child, you know, it, it takes a village to raise a child. And I recently had to come to terms with that fact and the fact that I can't keep turning kids away from playing with my own child because they have disrespectful mannerisms. Like this was legit a wake up call that God gave me a couple of days ago. It was like, okay, my son's telling me, oh, for my birthday, I want to go here. And I'm like, son, you ain't got no friends. And you know what? He's like, well, mom, I would have some, but everybody who comes over here, you think they, they disrespectful with their mouth and, and, and it's the truth. You know, I've had kids come to my house and I'm like, um, he can't come back over here. He's rude. But correction, standing in the gap means correcting them too. show them the right way. See how they feel and inquire about their life. It is very important. And when you discover and suspect abuse, report it and get the necessary help and intervene. Intervention. Be the hero you wish you had as a child and be brave enough to break the cycles of abuse. If you were verbally or physically abused, ask yourself, remind yourself, how did that make me feel? And if you do that to your child or others, imagine how that makes them feel. I have a voice now, but I didn't always have one. I had someone to stand. If I, if I had someone to stand behind me, I would have healed a long time ago. I'm 30, 30, 23 years down the road, 23 years later, I'm, I'm about to be 31. And I'm just now getting the strength to prosecute my abuser, the adoptive cousin. Had I had someone protecting me, he would have been in jail for that other girl and he would have been in jail for me and possibly would not be out here walking the streets right now. And I just wish his mother would have supported me more. I th- I think she, I mean, she asked me, what did I want to do? But I didn't go anywhere further with it. So I just believe 
I kind of dumbed it down, but I was a child. You know, it put her in a hard space, I'm sure, to, to say, okay, this is my quote unquote niece and this is my, my quote unquote son. What do I do? But I wish that even then, because my mother knew too, I wish I wish somebody stood up for me and stood in the gap. So we have to stand in the gap for these kids and we have to break the cycle because the harsh reality for me is I am a rape survivor. I am a survivor of molestation from strangers and relatives. I am a verbal abuse, mental abuse, physical abuse survivor. And there are harsh realities. And the saddest, the, the sadness, I've, the, the most saddest moment of my life is when I had to tell my mother, when I finally had the conversation with my mother and having to tell my mother that my first sexual experience was so young you know and and, and my first time performing oral sex on both a man and a woman was at seven years old seven seven years old and as an adult and as a parent that is a guilt I never want to experience that is something that I never want to and I would I would just die like I, I don't it's just it's just painful and I know by the look and the tears and, and the, the emotions that came out of my mom when she found out that these things happened to me, like, I know she struggled with that as a parent. So we have to be mindful and step in the gap. If we if we know if if we see it, we have to step in the gap. If something don't look right. We have to start speaking up. We cannot continue to normalize these things, especially in the black community. Um. And to have to spend a lifetime healing from your childhood trauma is a hard road. Some people don't recover. Some people don't recover. Some people don't figure it out. They just become consumed by the pain, the hurt. Sometimes people, you know, repeat the cycles for a lifetime and they victim the the worst. I heard a saying before and it said the worst kind of victim to create is another victim. And that's deep. When you think about it, that is super deep. For you to be a victim and create another victim of the same circumstances that held you captive to victimization, that's deep. That's a whole nother level of pain. But we have to, we have to stop it. So let's stand in the gap for the children without voices and turn our pain into power. We have to. We have to advocate for ourselves and we have to advocate for children, especially if you have children. And I'm not just directing this to women because there are there are men out in this world who have been abused and they don't talk about it. They suppress and they get into relationships and they say to themselves that, you know, it, there's nothing wrong with being um, insensitive or unemotional. But that's that's how they that's a defense mechanism. That's how they came about because now they feel like they got to protect themselves from the, from feeling the pain of their reality of what happened to them. Turn your pain into power. I'm not even just talking to women. I'm talking to my guys too. There's a lot of broken men in this world who need you, you know? And it's unfortunate that these things have happened to me, but the space that I am in and the deliverance that God has allowed me to come to I'm okay everything happens for a reason and at this point in time I don't regret anything in my life do I wish things could have been different absolutely but do I feel like this that what happened to me is is making or breaking me no I'm gonna take my my testimony and I'm gonna continue to help others I'm gonna I'm gonna continue to connect with other women just just having women every time I tell my story, just having women come to me and say or, or in men come to me and say, you know, you're so strong. Thank you so much for sharing. This happened to me, too. And they tell me that I'm the first person they told. I'm happy that I, 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 I'm able to release them. I'm happy that I get to I get to help them reach another step to their healing and their freedom, you know, and um. So I am a rape survivor. I'm not a rape victim. People use that word victim. I'm not a victim. I am a rape survivor because what happened to me did not break me. He did not win. 
He did not destroy me the way he knew or thought he was going to destroy me. He didn't get the glory. God got all the glory because look at me now. Look at me now. I've been blowing minds since I decided to start moving forward in my life and not becoming, you know, susceptible to the things that have happened to me. And I'm blowing minds. It's people right now who have tried to murder me, basically. And they're like, how is she doing this? I done verbally abused her. I done kicked her while she was down. But she's still going. She's still here. She's still loving. She's still standing on on her own two feet. She's still pouring out love. She's still loving God. She's still pouring out positivity among everybody. She's still helping others. And I'm going to continue to because I took my power back. This is my life. This is my life. Not, not, Not my abusers. It's my life. And I deserve happiness. I deserve love. I deserve life. I deserve to feel whole. I deserve to feel, you know, God's blessing, his abundance of healing. I deserve that. So I go for it. That's I, I'm here. I'm here to tell you guys, take your power back. And for the children that are currently going through abuse, help them. Don't silence your voice. And use your voice to be their voice when they don't have a voice either. And that is all that I wanted to tell you guys. This was a pretty long podcast. It was unintentional, but I kind of knew it was going to be long because I couldn't get everything out in like 30 minutes. Um, But raise awareness on child abuse so we can help prevent it. It's really a serious thing out here. And also get your healing if you've been through abuse talk about it get a counselor break the cycle of accepting family members into your space that have abused you not just sexually but mentally emotionally verbally spiritually don't allow that poor treatment and seek god for your deliverance and your wholeness only he can heal you i tell my story now in power i don't even cry through it and it feels good because i've come to a place of peace and wholeness with the abuse and my story helps others yours can too yours can too and remember that the life you want is attainable and before I go let's do a quick affirmation as usual and here it is I affirm I am healing I am loved I have a voice I am not what I have been through. I belong to God. I will use my light to help others. I am blessed. I affirm. Thank you guys so much for listening. I really hope this has inspired somebody. I hope somebody gained something from this. You guys can catch me on Instagram at dental.bay. That's D-E-N-T-A-L dot B-A. I'm sorry, guys. It is D-E-N-T-A-L dot B-A-E-E. That's Bay with two E's. And the Transparency Diary. That is at the Transparency Diary. It is spelled how it is said. And until next time, keep social distancing and seeking God above all else. Seek God above all else. I love you guys. And I will catch you on the next episode. Mwah.